Troy Malcolm, Tom Panos, John McGrath. Have we ever put you as the head of the podcast in the intro, Troy? Yeah. Only when... Number one. Only when you haven't been available to record. <laughs> so, so I get shunted to the bottom then, but that's all right. No, I just, I just, I just felt like, uh, John, he did say just before we come on air, episode 196. Yeah. That's, uh, wow. that's, that's, that's very good. Like you th- I mean, you, I think about it, um, and that means that it started somewhere around June, uh, June July 2008. 13, 14? Uh, yeah, first episode went live in November. We started kind of putting the ideas together, July, but yeah, we recorded in that's, November. That's scary because I remember the day I made the call to you and yeah. it felt like yesterday. I was driving under the Harbour Bridge, dial, you're at the gym, we should do a podcast. And and literally it felt like yesterday. God, time flies, right? Yeah, and I, and I still remember we quickly got a... Um, uh, uh, some graphic uh, done, which um, <laughs> and makes me makes me wonder that sometimes people really um, overplan things. Like I mean, there have been times in corporate life at News Corp, um, and this this is not News Corp. This happens in any organisation that you can actually spend three months trying to get the right graphic, the right logo. And all I remember is we've got this logo done, looks pretty good, life's good. <laughs> then Troy Malcolm comes along, stamps his name on there, life keeps going on. We're you know we're up to two hundred episodes. Um, it hasn't been a great strategy. Just will change every day. It's, what do we? What do we say? Get the, don't get ready. Get started. Yeah. Don't get ready. Get started. I've used yeah. that about ten times uh, good since one, you it? mentioned it, John. And that came out of uh, that podcast. Uh, uh, I forgot the name of it. Last it was, few weeks. Yeah, the beautiful podcast that I was listening about design. Mm. Uh, oh yeah, uh, reading. Uh, Michael reading. Michael reading. Yeah. Fantastic yeah. podcast. So we are here today, and um, John mention, Troy, that we're going to talk about a topic that I think everyone sitting there listening today wants to hear about this, because I think people are overstating, overplaying, over-dramatising, over-catastrophising this marketplace. They're saying, it, so, sometimes when things sort of aren't going perfect, people actually say, this is the worst it's ever been. People have got this incredible ability to amplify things, but the reality is that there is people walking through opens. Um, every weekend, there are still lots of sales being made. John, what's your take of it? And Troy, what's your take of it? What are your agents saying about this marketplace? And what are you saying about this marketplace? So, Tony, this is like we were just talking before the session about, yeah, because the three of us are coaching and training in our teams and, and in general people around the, the Australia and New Zealand. And um, feels to me there's a lot of negativity at the moment in many markets and people are calling it, labelling it, labelling it a bad market. Um, I don't think it's at all a bad market. I actually, in fact, I know if you did a global survey of all the real estate markets around the world, Australia and New Zealand would still have, would still be in the top 5% in almost every city and every town in the country. You know, these are prosperous countries. Our real estate is in demand. Australians and New Zealanders love real estate and property. Everyone, you know, desires to buy their own home from, from an early age. So. We're in a good market. The problem is it's shifted. So what does that mean? That means that there have been, you know, so let's reality check, total transparency. Yeah, sure. There's been a drop off from overseas buyers in some areas. Um, for some people, uh, prices have come back somewhere between four and six, seven, eight percent. That's a reality, but that doesn't mean it's a bad market unless your pricing is still at last year's prices. Yeah. So if you've got a property priced at 500 and the market's now reassessed and said, look, we think the market's a pretty efficient place. We think the market was a bit hot last year, it says. So the buyers are saying, well, you know, that property, we like it, Tom, but we like it at 460, not 500 or 470. 
If you're sitting there at 500, of course it feels like a bad market because you're, you're above where people are say, saying they're prepared to pay. So I think you've got to, A is you've got to change your paradigm that this is not a bad market. You need to align your price to the current market, not a year ago, not six months ago, not what it might be in two years. Right now, today, Mr. and Mrs. Vendor, the market is saying that it is prepared to make offers in this price range. Now, a lot of agents are un- unprepared, Troy, to have those conversations, scared, yeah. if you will. So, John, if, I, if I'm listening to this podcast and I entered real estate two and a half years ago yep. and I didn't really have to spend a lot of my time in my week telling an owner what you're hoping to get and what the market wants to pay is, are two different numbers, but I've, act, I've got to learn that. How, how does someone who's basically become a product of their environment, you know, they've come mm. into an office, that was not a necessary, necessary skill for the last two, three years? Yeah, properties was, you know, order, order takers were doing okay in a market that was perpetually rising where demand far outstrips supply. So this is a new skill for many, as you say. For those that have been in the market for a decade, you know, like three of us, who we've seen different cycles, and this is not unusual for us, and there's no need to panic. For those that have been in the market for five years or less in many parts of Australia and New Zealand, this is, you know, God, what's happening? This is a whole new field. So this is a new skill you've got to pick up. First thing is you have to have the conversation. You, there's no putting off. There's no feeling guilty about it. You need to convey the information that the client, vendor, needs to hear to make an astute decision around how to sell their property. And if you've got a vendor sitting there saying, oh, well, you know, we'll get 500 eventually, and the reality is you've had 12 people through it and all of them are saying it's 450 to 470, if you don't have that conversation with the client, you're doing them a disservice. So first thing is, you know, it's the old Stephen Bradbury thing, you've got to be on the ice, you actually got to be in front of the client having the conversation. Even if it's imperfect, not the perfect words, you've got to be there saying, Tom and Sula, here's the, where the market's now talking to us around the value of your property. Here's why. So you've got to back it up with evidence. There's no point me as a vendor saying, look, you know, everyone thinks your property is too expensive. I think you've What's got evidence to, look like? E- evidence is when the buyer comes through, I'm actually saying to them, so what are your thoughts? Does this suit you or not? Are you interested in buying it? Where's your value? Why are you putting it at that value? You need to find out what are the buyers saying. And they might tell you information you didn't know about. <laughs> they might say, look, an agent rang me last week and said, the one next door is coming on the market and I can pick that up for 465 right now if I want it. Um, so you've got to actually forensically drill into the feedback and find out why people think it's at a certain value. Then you need to transfer that information, Troy, onto the vendors. But it's no point you as an agent sitting there saying, oh, well, I don't want to tell the vendor the market's saying it's worth X. The other thing you've got to do, Troy, I think, is you have to decide between speculative sellers, that is, people who are happy to sell if they can get some mega, uber, premium, amazing, life-changing price. Because, by the way, a year or two ago, you wanted those people because there was a fairly good chance you were going to get those prices. Today, those sort of prices are not forthcoming. So is someone a real seller with real motivation and a desire to sell and meet the market? Or is someone a speculative seller if they got some crazy price they'd sell? And you have to kind of go back through and maybe weed your garden and take out of your listing uh, bank the people that are actually not really committed. So these, so these might be properties, John, that um, do, do, you, do you do your, your weeding and your filtering out at a listing presentation? Or do you sort of establish that 
a week or two, three weeks into it. No, I think you do it, Tommy, at the, at the listing presentation, but you've also got to have a filter, a pragmatic filter. We know that irrespective of what the market's doing, most vendors, when you meet them, they're looking for a price which is not always forthcoming. You know, every, no matter what the market's doing, vendors want to get the best possible price. They figure out what it's probably worth, and then when they talk to you, they add a bit on top. So they think it's good, you know it's probably worth 460, 470. So they'll say, well, Tom, look, if you can get me 500, what I want to know is why they're selling, and if, if if there is a genuine reason to sell, and they're looking for a slight premium in this market, I don't have a problem with that because I know the genuine motivation will override the hope that they might get a bit more. So my view is you you have that. You don't cut out every listing just because it's not absolutely on the price that you know this will walk out the door at. Um, Susan, uh, John, Susan tells me that one of the most requested things we get from people in the real estate gym when they're lost, they go in searching for something and they say, what was those words and how did John talk about price at a listing presentation when the owner was hoping to get a little bit more, John sort of was able to have a conversation which didn't destroy their dreams but at the same time did not explicitly over-promise them. It was something along the lines is, um, the great news is we don't have any pressure today to... to yeah, so, so the, the good news at the point of listing, Tom, is we don't have to finalise price today. We have the opportunity to go to the market. You're saying you'd like to get 500 based on comparables. That feels like it'll be an outstanding result, in fact, a premium, if you will. So... Um, I'm happy to shoot for that, but here's what I'm going to recommend. I'm going to bring the first five or six buyers through. They're going to have a budget north of 500000 After Before we launch it to the entire market, I'm going to get feedback from those people. So one of two things, Tom's going to happen. I'm going to bring <coughs> you and Sula a contract that's going to have a price that you're going to be absolutely ecstatic with. It's going to be up in that range that we're talking about. Or I'm going to bring feedback as to why people may think that we're overshooting the mark and we really need to be a bit more conservative in what we're expecting. So... The thing is, I need to be calm, confident. I don't want to take it. Because by the way, if I bring five people through that have got a 525 budget, there's a chance someone will fall in love with it and pay a premium. But what I don't want to do is in that critical 30-day launch period when I bring a new listing onto the market, I don't want to be Troy 10% above where the market sees it because all my best buyers get burnt from it and they walk away. And it's very hard after 30 days to ring them up and say, look, I think we goofed. I don't think it was really 500. I know you said it was 450. We're prepared to look at offers around there. You can still get a sale that way, and that's often how sales do happen, but it's very hard for you to get competition in that way. So I'd rather have a soft launch, quietly first five, seven days, get the best buyers through with a, with a, high, with a high budget, and then come back to the vendor with a sale or with feedback. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think it all really flows straight back up to process. I'm noticing a lot of our... Uh, agents are now doubling down on communication with the vendors, communication with their buyers. They're really nurturing that buyer relationship. And I think you said it a couple of weeks ago, Tom, buyer management at the second half of this calendar year, as in July to December, is going to be one of the most critical elements Mm. of any successful real estate campaign. And I think it is actually true. Calling numbers on the weekend at auctions, there wasn't 10 plus bidders. There was three to four bidders, but every single one of those bidders actually bid on the property. So the agents that I'm working with, Wayne and Tina Vaughan and the alike, they are really nurturing those buyers and speaking to them sometimes two to three times a week to make sure they're engaged, make sure they have everything they could possibly need. Um, They're also doubling down on marketing activities. 
So in a, in a changing market, as we're in now, those agents that are building market share are really ramping up their marketing activities. And that's online and offline, in print, around the area, getting involved with the community because they know that this is the perfect moment to actually build a really successful business or an even better business. Troy, I'm noticing a lot of real estate agents are telling me that not only do they have to stay close, because real estate's moved in the last few months from being transactional to very relational. You've got to stick to a buyer like a like a, a, a stamp sticks to an envelope because mm-hmm. by the, when, when you have the offer and the acceptance, what's actually happening is everyone has become an expert on predicting what's going to happen next. So mm-hmm. you've got, you know, uncles and aunties and next door neighbours <laughs> and the local butcher that actually get involved in yeah. guiding people. And what's actually happening is I think you can't assume nothing... The contract's not done till the contract's done. And I think that really great real estate agents are staying so close to their buyers, building trust, and being able to fix problems when they're small. It's a great Jordan Peterson uh, lesson. Always fix problems when they're small because then they can get too big that they're not fixable. And I think that's what happens when you're actually very close to people. I think I agree, Tom. Those two bits of um, insights that Troy just gave, they were gold. but so let's just look at the double down the buyer management. Mm. Double the frequency with which you're speaking to your buyers. So let's just just well, firstly before that, Troy, double the number of your buyers you're working with. Yeah. If you've been used to working with ten or twenty hot buyers, start working with twenty to forty, because you might need the extra buyers to get your deals done. So the top twenty-five becomes the top top 50. fifty. Yeah. So that's number one. Number two is double the frequency. So change your idea a week, if you will. Double the frequency of contact. Just stay all over close to your buyer. By the way, you should have been doing this when the market was hotter yeah. uh, or when the market was you know, at, at, a, at a high level of demand, but certainly now. Um, and I think you referred to Wayne and Tina there, who are, yeah. they just made top 100 agents in mm-hmm. Australia. Brilliant people. Um, and the third one was double down on marketing. You've mm. got to be better at selling marketing to your vendor and saying, look, you know, if we cut any corners here, it could cost you a lot of money in a month or two. So what we really need to do, back to your beautiful line, Tom, which was if we're going to, uh, we'd rather over-invest 5000 than under-invest, because mm. over-investing you know, might cost us five, and under-investing could cost us 50 yeah. Yeah. if the property sits on the market for the next three months. Yeah. Um, third thing, I think, in, in price alignment is just have some metaphors. And one of the metaphors I often talk to with vendors, clients, is chasing the market down. Very dangerous, slippery slope. So, you know, when, when you're at 500 and the market's at 460, by the time you often get down to 460, if it does take time, the market's at 440. Mm-hmm. And then at 440, the market's at 420, and you're eventually selling for, sell for 5 to 10% less than you should have. So I think you've got to be able to go to your vendors during your process of educating them as to what the market's saying. And they have to really see the danger in sitting around with an overpriced listing indefinitely on the market. Because some people say, look, Tom, I'm not in a hurry. It's just, you know, as I said to you, you know, we'll... the problem with that is the longer your property is on the market, nowadays with technology and realestate.com and on the house and all these other things, people can track when it hit the market, yeah. what every price change and every advertisement that's been placed. So it's no secret now as to, you know, when a property's you know, hit the market and, and the history of it. And there is a perception the longer it's been on the market, it's problematic, the price must be crazy, even if the price is not crazy. 
So I think you've just got to be very careful about that. Aaron Paul, which I interviewed last week, very good uh, um, million dollar agent from the Central Coast, only been in real estate for three years. He said, Tom, one of the ways I explain it, which my vendors get it, is if we had uh, old signboards sitting on a car on a main road that had been sitting there for two months, the perception out there would be that this thing is a lemon, there's something not right about it, they're trying to flog this old car. So it appears the sweet zone, Troy, is somewhere between uh, the day it's listed mm-hmm. and five weeks, yeah. thereabouts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some and days on markets are higher in other places, but yeah, those 30 days is critical. Absolutely. Right? And I'm also noticing around the grounds that while we're seeing single-digit buyers coming through open for inspections, the really smart agents aren't actually waiting to do callbacks on Monday. I mean, those days are gone of waiting till Monday and every other agent calls back. They're not even waiting till Saturday afternoon anymore. At the actual open for inspection, they're going and having dialogue with them to engage with them then and there. So the feedback to the vendor is actually quicker mm. than what it is on a Saturday afternoon, mm. right? So I think the willingness to do deals is another key element in price alignment because, and this is the agent coming into it, the willingness to go the extra mile, the willingness to do one or two extra one percenters to make sure the buyer's engaged and make sure the vendor understands that there's been no stone left unturned, Got whether it. that's marketing or whether that's on, from that inspection side of things. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. I think it's, uh, it's vital. But, but, you know, this is... It's funny, one of the coaching sessions I had during the week, Tom and Troy, and they said, well, you know, how do you get buyers to make decisions because they, they don't want to buy? And I said, well, hang on. If they're a buyer, your word, not mine, if they're a buyer, that means they've contacted you, they've turned up at an open, of course they want to buy. They might be saying to you, well, you know, I'm not in a hurry, of course, because that's what they're saying to you, and vendors will give have their version of that. But someone doesn't get in a car and go to a property on a Saturday and go and see a mortgage broker because they don't want to buy. But at last, they feel that there's a little bit of equilibrium, that the market's rebalanced and they don't have the same urgency, but that doesn't mean they don't want to buy. If they find a home for their family, fall in love with it, and it's at the right price, they're signing a contract. Mm. So, you know, I think, again, this is a mind game, real estate. Shift, you know, your, your perception. The market is not bad. If you have overpriced listings, they won't sell. Buyers are not wanting to not buy. They want to buy. They just need to find the right home and the right circumstance at the right price, and they'll transact. I mean, every day we're sitting here at Newtown this morning. There's going to be a hundred sold signs go up within a few blocks of here over the next month Correct. or two. Yeah. So they're Correct. buying. Correct. Guys, I want to thank you so much. And I might just leave on this uh, video tip that I really think um, in this market, a lot of people are posting stuff on video. Sometimes they post listings or mm. things. Troy, one of the best videos that you can do as an agent right now is to give people a behind-the-scenes view of how you put a deal together that was difficult, right? It gets people, potential vendors love to know that there was a difficult property that had been on the market for a few months. You took it, you listed it, you restyled it, you changed the marketing, you studied where the buyers were coming from. You said, okay, we know that buyers from that buy in Newtown come from the eastern suburbs, yep. from a unit, and yep. they're buying a house. So what we did is we targeted the eastern suburbs using Facebook advertising and said, let's hit the demographic from 30 to 40 years of age in you know Paddington, Darlinghurst, 
um, Surrey Hills. And they go off and they say the property got sold. Um, the owner wanted 1.7. We got 1,680,000. It took us 27 days. It had been previously been on the market for 58. I think consumers like a backstage view of how an agent brings skill. They don't want to hear about the fact that you made 50 transactions last month and it was your best year, best month of your year. What they want to people want to hear stuff that's going to help them in their lives. And I think that a lot of real estate agents are missing the opportunity of using video to get a strong message out there that they're different, they do things in a better way, and they're intelligent in providing value to potential consumers. Yeah, well, that's yeah. so true, Tom, because every single auction I'm walking into at the moment, the first question the vendor will always ask before I start the auction, how's the rest of the day been going? Mm. Right? Yeah. That's irrelevant, really, because their property is unique and the number of buyers aren't necessarily looking at bouncing around Sydney like we do on a Saturday calling auctions, but that's the most common question I hear. How's the rest of the day been? Because they want to know that they're not by themselves if it's a tough campaign. Yeah. Or on the flip side, if everything else is selling and they're not, they also want to know that they're not yeah. by themselves. Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so... Fantastic, guys. Excellent. Um, I want to thank you again. And that was a great, John, that's a great topic. I think the thing that's coming out of this is that if all of a sudden you've been looking at things differently, maybe the issue is not the market. Maybe the issue is the way you're looking at the market and that this is a golden opportunity for you to, you know, cut the past out and look at tomorrow with a different set of eyes. So, guys, thank you so much and I'll talk to you next week. See you then. See you guys.